Hey everyone, I'm Christine Kane. You know, over the course of my ministry life, I have been asked literally thousands of times around the world if I can mentor women so that they can grow and they can discover their God-given purpose and potential and flourish in life and ministry. So I've committed this season of my life to setting up a program to really help to mentor, train, equip and mobilize women into their God-given purpose and potential. Now, my friend Tara Beth Leach and I have rallied trusted leaders and coaches from every sphere of life to develop a life-changing Propel Women cohort experience for you. You know, I can't tell you how pumped up I am with the stories that I get of transformation that happens when women have gone through this cohort experience. It is absolutely astounding to see and hear all that God is doing in their lives. So I'd love to have you join us for the next round of Propel Women cohorts, and it's starting really soon. So whether you are in ministry or whether you're a professional woman or a businesswoman or a pastor's wife, why don't you consider joining our next round of cohorts at propelwomen.org cohorts. Hi, friends. I'm Chris Kane, and you're listening to the Propel Women Life and Leadership Podcast, where we share faith-fueled stories from leaders all over the globe to help you fulfill your God-given purpose. I am so glad that you're joining us today. Let's dive in. Widely recognized as a thought leader at the intersection of mental health, faith, and culture, my dear, dear friend, Dr. Anita holds degrees from the University of Maryland and Regent University and has completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Listen, you have got more degrees and training than almost anybody I know. So, you know, Dr. Anita, I, I love you so dearly. And you've spent your career looking at the intersections of mental health, spirituality and culture, just some very light subjects there. And, um, you know, would you talk to us just a little bit about how you see these three things working in tandem with one another? Well, they are all absolutely connected, just like our bodies are absolutely connected. At no moment would you ask someone, are you breathing right now or is your heart beating right now? We would never consider that, right? But we're so used to studying ourselves in parts. But we know that our circulatory system is delivering oxygen to our respiratory system and everything works together. And so our faith, our spirituality, our emotional and mental health, and then what's happening in our bodies are all working together. And then the cultural perspectives that shape us impact all of those things as well. And so by saying I work at this intersection is really just saying I'm looking at the whole person. And that's not something that we're used to doing. I just need to jump in there, Kate. Why wouldn't we be used to doing that? I mean, this is all your world. And so I'm thinking I'm not educated or trained in that world, but I would think that's a no-brainer. Is it not a no-brainer? You would think so, but we're not educated. I know, but we're not educated that way, first of all, right? You got mental health professionals, psychiatrists, cardiologists, respiratory specialists. We're not trained that way. We go to school, we major in one thing, and we get really deep into that one thing, and we can start to have tunnel vision and not recognize how much it's impacted by other things. And I think that we do the same thing sometimes as ministers as well. We are looking at the spiritual perspective and that's what we're focused on, but then we can fail to realize how much our spiritual lives are impacted by our, bio by our, our biology or by the culture where we live. And we study the context of where, for example, scripture was written, but we don't always study the context in which we're reading it. 
we're not aware of how the different pieces influence one another. And so it's okay for us to specialize in what we specialize in and understand our role. But instead of worrying about whether we're right or wrong, I think we all need to be looking at how our perspective is limited and then connect with other perspectives to see the whole picture. So when did it drop for you that all of these things are connected? Because you could have easily, with all your psychology training, you could have just gone down one track. I could have, but my brain just doesn't work that way. So I'm really fortunate. God gave me this crazy brain and I've always had a gift for identifying patterns in disparate places. So when I was, I think about 14, when I first learned uh, that E equals MC squared means that if you move a solid object at the speed of light squared, it will turn into energy, essentially it disappears. And when I saw that formula and learned that in science class, my first thought was, oh, that's the scientific explanation for the rapture. Because the Bible says we will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That's light. So I was like, oh, light squared. Our bodies would be moving that fast, means they would disappear. So maybe that's how the rapture happens. And this scientist just labeled the process. But God would have had to have built a process into his creation to make this happen. I was like 14. And that was my thought in science class that day. So I do have a bit of a Rain no, 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 you do, on. because I'm trying to think at 14, maybe I was trying to fix my braces or something. I don't know what you were doing, Rachel, yeah. at 14. <laughs> Literally, I'm just thinking, like, at 14, I was trying to figure out, like, how do I make my hair not be frizzy? And Dr. Anita's like, oh, the rapture, here's how it's scientific. Like, we, like you are so much smarter than me, and I am so aware of it. <laughs> it's just a weird thing I got going on. I'm not neurotypical, and... So I do identify patterns a lot, but I also then grew up in this incredibly spiritually focused environment. My mom was always talking about God and scripture in ways that went beyond rules and behavioral regulations, but she really believed that there was an explanation for everything in the spirit realm and that we should look at everything that God made and the things that he did. And so she helped to shape that, but that was a cultural element, right? So my mom is what we would call Afro-Indigenous. She's part Black and part Native American. And so even her perspective on God being larger and connected to creation, like I hear the Indigenous American influence in the way that she talks about God. I didn't understand that at the time, but I do now. And so that's how culture got pulled into my perspective because different cultural perspectives emphasize different aspects of God's character. And that's why only together can we know the depth and the breadth and the height and the width of God because everybody has a piece. And so I find culture interesting as well because it influences what we pay attention to and what we prioritize over other things. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things about the way that you connect dots and the way that you communicate is the way that you decompartmentalize things that that we as like a broader culture we are so insistent on compartmentalizing. I feel like sometimes compartmentalization is even celebrated. Like, oh, I can just leave that at the door and mm-hmm. be fully present here for this. And But what we're saying is I'm ignoring this whole part of myself right. so that I can be present in this, right? How How would you tell somebody to begin um, the decompartmentalization? Mm. I think that it begins with 
focusing on being in your body. Now, I know that sounds all frou-frou, but (laughs) one of the things that really has been necessary to this unnatural compartmentalization of ourselves has been a disconnection from our bodies. And whether that means keep on going, goal chasing, achievement chasing, no matter how tired you are, the whole I'll sleep when I'm dead, what we're really saying is disconnect from what your body is telling you about what you need and keep going instead. Or put your feelings aside and just trust God. We're being told to disconnect from our emotions and that that will help us with our faith. Well, emotions are bodily experiences. And so we have to disconnect from our bodies in a way to ignore our emotions. And so when I say reconnect, sit with, be in your body, just taking the time to listen to what this space that we live in is saying and doing and trying to communicate to us that we'll actually start to notice that a lot of things are happening at once. I, I can quietly listen until my own heartbeat is audible to me, until my own breathing is palpable to me and realizing all of those things are happening at once because our discontent really is about this internal battle where, where we're gonna give our attention rather than a holistic approach to how we need to be well. So I don't know if that answered the question. You know, I think I, I, I love all this. And I'm thinking um, your new book, In the Garden Within, you know, The Garden Within, you um, and congratulations, Miss New York Times bestseller. <laughs> and it is just, uh, and and so deserves it. I mean, I got to read an early manuscript and have had the privilege of having so many conversations with you. So I cannot wait till book two, three, four, five, because it's like, it is endless from, you know, the woman that at 14 knows what EMC squared means. Let me just, (laughs) let me tell everybody, there are a lot more books to come, a lot more. But as long as I've known you, um, your capacity to see things in scripture that once, which is just a brilliant gift of a teacher and, and prophet and pastor and all the things. But um, once we, we see it, it's like, oh, how could I never have seen that? Except we've spent thousands of years never having seen it. So, you know, th- this book in particular, um, yeah. just the way you draw God's kind of intricate, you know, God, God's humanity and how it marry, uh, mirrors the Garden of Eden. I mean, the way you draw all of that, I, I probably, I, I think I very seriously have read your book at least four times because it's just got mm-hmm. so much in it. And um, I recommend it to everyone because the fact is that what is it that you see or found about Eden that really has affected your own journey towards spiritual and mental health and that you hope Mm -hmm. is helping other people through this book? For me, when I realized that the Garden of Eden and gardens in general were actually God's lesson plan for how we're supposed to live, literally, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and biologically, I was so changed by that. The idea that questions that we're asking now about mental health and illness and wellness, that God knew we'd be asking those questions in 2023 and God wrote an answer for us during creation. Like every single thing we need really is already here. He did give it to us. And so it inspired my faith in so many other areas because on a day when I'm struggling with something in my everyday life or some pain that seems to have been going on for a long time or an unanswered question, I remind myself that there is a map of my body in Genesis 2. And that if my God can do that, he will be able to do this other thing. So it it just brings me back to baseline about how huge and magnificent God is. 
Oh, absolutely. And, not- and everyone's going to have to get the book to see the diagrams. You got to see the, the the illustrations. And, and yeah. but Genesis chapter two really does both describe Eden and how our biology works, which helps us know how to be well. And one of the challenges is that we always want to figure out what one scripture means. It only means this. It can't mean anything else. It's blasphemy if you say it does. And it's like, how can you limit God like that? It's, it's very powerful. I mean, I, I... Hey, everyone. Well, you know, without a doubt, the number one thing I've had to work on more than anything else in my entire 35 years of following Jesus is the battle that is happening in my mind. I'm one of those people that is very predisposed to obsessive rumination. And if I am not careful to take every thought captive to the knowledge of God, I can spiral down a black hole like anyone else. You know, people say, Chris, you have got so much of the word that comes out of your mouth. Let me just tell you, it is not any kind of legalistic man I'm trying to memorize just out of some rote thing. It is a lifeline for me. I have found that by digging into the Word of God and memorizing scriptures, it has helped to transform my mind and I am daily committed to the process of renewing my mind. Can I just say I know that I'm not the only one. So many of us struggle with this battlefield that we have in our mind. What I've done is I've put together a a free guide of the scriptures that have most helped me, that I've memorized and that I go to again and again and very often on a daily basis in order to keep renewing my mind and bringing it into alignment with the Word of God. And so I want to make this available to you because I know so many of us are struggling with our thoughts and we've just had a really, really challenging last few years and it's time to bring our thoughts back into captivity to the knowledge of the Word of God so that we can thrive and we can flourish in life. So head over to christinecane.com slash renew to grab your free guide and start renewing your mind today. Okay, one of the things that, I mean, there's many things, but one of the things you really bring out is the importance of our emotions as we're tending to our hearts. Now, I'm Greek, so I get it. Okay, so for me, we're passionate. But when I came particularly into certain streams of the Protestant church, it was almost like I was... I was told to put those aside, that that was just a Greek cultural thing, Christine. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just because your family's all my big fat Greek wedding and very loud and very expressive, sort of almost like a a more reformed and civilized view of God is that I would put all of those things away and I wouldn't feel. And it's almost like your, your book's giving me permission to feel and to go, oh, oh, it's okay to be my big fat Greek life. And God wired yeah. me up this way. And actually they say things, you know, that that, that wiring actually um, helps me not only connect to God, but but really uh, can show me when something's wrong or something needs tending to. I think I found a lot of that. I found it's okay to be me by reading your book. Yes, yes. All of us are created with our emotional lives at the center. And that always throws Christians off because they're like, no, your spiritual life's at the center. But when we realize that we are gardens and Jesus gives us this in the parable of the sower, he tells us that the sower goes out to sow seeds and that the soil is the heart. And just in case we think he's making some strange metaphor, he goes on to clarify by describing the different soil types 
in terms of emotion. He talks about the stony ground being having joy in it first when the seed is received. But then when anger gets in there, the plant is just is destroyed and anxiety weeds growing out of soil that has fear in it. I mean, he's using emotional descriptors. So we know that Jesus is talking about our emotional space. So we receive the seeds into our emotional space. And when we think about our salvation experience, who gave their life to Jesus stoically? For whom was their salvation experience not emotional? Who came to the altar like, yeah, whatever. I mean, if you say so, I'll, I'll try this Jesus thing. Sure, I'll change my whole life, lay down my sinful habits and restrict myself. Why not? We were like, yes, we something stirred our hearts to believe there was more peace over there, more freedom over there, healing, less pain. It was an emotional decision for every one of us. And that's why we have to remember that Jesus wants to be in our hearts. And then we get him in our hearts and then we scramble to live in our heads. And it's because we are all being influenced by a culture that even in Greek culture where emotion is expressed, emotional expression is okay. But when it comes to decision-making, it's supposed to be excluded. Totally, totally. And so that's the part is that people want to say, well, it's okay to feel, but it can't be um, involved in your decision-making. But it is involved in your decision-making. Science has proved that biologically... 90% of our decision-making is infused by our emotional state at the time, including that salvation decision we all made. And that that is actually guidance for us, that it is our hearts and our emotional space that actually makes us distinct from every other creature, not our mind. Why do you think we've been, especially in some streams of the church world, trying to quench the emotional side? Like why? Not one, culture. So we have to look at the cultures that have most influenced Western Christianity. We're talking about British culture, Dutch culture, German culture. Not exactly like, love them all, but not exactly your most like emotionally expressive gung-ho people, right? And so that influence, our culture influences how we see God. And so if we think that being stoic and not expressing emotion is the right way to be, we then shape a God that looks like that. And then we say, this is the God we should emulate. And so very early on, early church, Western church fathers incorporated a lot of Plato's perspectives, the philosopher Plato and the Stoics. And their view was that emotion was problematic, that it was irrational. And so the earliest definitions of Christian perfection were infused with Stoicism and with Plato's work. And so that said, if you are going to be perfect, you put emotion aside. And they made that the definition of Christian um, perfection or one of the definitions, even though Jesus was incredibly emotionally expressive in public. He expressed intense emotions. He described them. He tells the disciples in Gethsemane, stay with me. I am sorrowful unto death. He asks for company. He cries at Lazarus's tomb. He's flipping tables in Jerusalem and the temple. I mean, Jesus is super emotionally expressive, super intense in public, never repents, never backtracks, never says, wow, I shouldn't have done that. And it's so we're not even looking at the Jesus we're saying we're going to be conformed to, but he showed us how to live the perfect human life. And that involved expressing his emotional pain, even when he knew that the outcome was going to be victorious. He still expressed the process. He knew Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead, but he cried. He knew that he was going to be raised from the dead, but he still begged his father to save him from this ending, from this death. So Jesus never failed to express the pain of the process, even when he had faith for the outcome. All of our cultural limitations on how emotions should play into our lives could be freed if we would just really pay attention to Jesus. Yeah, I know... I know what it's like 
to be on the other side of your brilliance for the first time. So I can like feel one of our listeners <laughs> being like, oh my gosh, there's so much. <laughs> like it's it's like sitting in front of a fire hydrant with with a Dixie cup because you have this like spiritual gift of connecting dots and reading between the lines when we don't even know that we should be. It's, it is so, it's so freeing to listen to you. And I know there's a phrase that I've heard you use before when you said it's not complicated. It's just hard. I don't know if I read it or where I heard you say it, but that, that stuck with me so much the first time I heard you say that. And so to, to our listener who feels maybe a little bit overwhelmed because there, there is so much truth in what you're saying, how would you help them? begin this journey and and simplify because like what I'm not telling you to simplify I'm saying like make us uh, make it not complicated because it is it is just hard yeah when we have believed a certain thing for a long time or we're really invested in a perspective I mean if you've been restraining your emotions or beating yourself up for having emotions for your whole life and then suddenly you find out oh my gosh I didn't have to be doing this and I don't have to do it anymore that is jarring and that's the hard part. And so when something is hard like that, we complicate it instead. Well, could that be correct? Maybe not. Let me find, let me look up, let me read. And it's like, no, nah, it's right on the page. There it is. And so I think what I would recommend is when something seems very complicated to ask yourself what's hard about it. What hard feeling is involved? Do you feel afraid that if you embrace this very clear, obvious truth, it's going to mean losing something valuable or walking into an ambiguous situation or being unsure for a little while. Because when I say it's hard, it's usually meaning that the transition is going to involve some emotional pain. So when you're looking at all the complications, which is us gathering all the facts and making liabilities and pros and cons lists and all the things that we think make it complicated, stop and ask yourself emotionally, what's hard about this? Because once you see that piece, then it's like, Hmm, I don't need to do another analysis on whether I need to be in this relationship or not. It's just a really hard thing to walk away. I don't need to do another analysis on whether God called me to do X, Y, and Z. It's just really hard for me to embrace that God would choose me. Like, what is it that feels hard? Just go straight to that. We're all just pausing because it's like, yes, and amen, <laughs> which is very powerful. Really? <laughs> but at what point should we be for one of a better phrase, I don't even know if I'm going to get corrected by you right now, but managing our emotions, is there a place for that? What we want to do is have our body, our nervous system, which is responsible for our emotional lives, to be healthy enough to regulate it. So when we talk about regulation, because people are struggling with this, because people are embracing emotion, they'll be like, you're right, emotions are good, but they're not facts. Emotions are great to have, but control them. You know, like, it's like there's this but at the end. We just can't believe that really this is okay. But again, just look at how Jesus expressed himself. That being said, when I talk about regulation, emotional regulation, think about the water system in your house. When everything's running well there, it's regulated. I can turn it up. I can make the water more intense, pressure intense when I need to. I can turn it back down. Sometimes I need the water to be cold and gentle. Maybe I'm washing something that's a delicate item. Sometimes I need it to be hot and strong. I'm scrubbing something. I'm, I'm scrubbing the kitchen floor or a, a greasy pot. So 
my capacity to regulate the water in my house is great. And everyone knows what happens when it stops working, when the shower suddenly goes from hot to cold really fast, or you can't get the pressure you need. That's how a lot of us feel with our emotions. Like they're not doing what we need them to do at the time we need them to do it. But I want you to think about regulation, like the water system in your house, the plumbing system and not control because control is how I approach something that is inherently bad that I must brace myself against. And that's not how I feel when I turn the shower on in the morning. That's not how I feel when I'm filling the pool. I'm just utilizing water in the way that it needs to be utilized at the time. And so if you are dysregulated, then that might mean that when something upsets you, you have a hard time returning back to a state of equilibrium as would be healthy. It's you, maybe you stay heightened. And so instead of trying to control that, what we want to do is learn how to increase our nervous system's capacity to regulate it. So now you'll have to get the book for that. But sometimes if we've been traumatized as children, especially, our regulation is damaged. And that is a literal biological effect and not a, I need to think my way out of this effect. And so we may need to do the work that's necessary for our nervous system to heal. And that's not just trauma therapy, but also rest the amount of rest, the amount of um, activities that we're allowing to demand, um, be demanding on us. Whether we take time regularly to do some deep breathing, spend time in nature, get the sleep we need, the nutrition that we need, the relationships that we need to be in that are healthy. All of those things contribute to the regulation of our emotions. But the key is that it is a biological process, that regulation, not a thought process. You can't think your way there. Okay, so... In the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come to take Jesus and Peter pulls out the sword and cuts off the ear, what is that? What is When they were in the garden at the most heightened moment of Jesus's pain, Jesus is so present with his emotional pain. We know he's sweating blood. That is a physical manifestation of fear, the emotion of fear coursing through one's body. So Jesus was very present with how he was feeling. He said he was sorrowful unto death. The Bible describes him as sore amazed in the King James Version, which means terrified. He, but he never tried to escape that space. And he went to his father fully feeling all of those feelings. In the meantime, the three disciples, including Peter, who were closest to Jesus, fell asleep. In the book of Luke, it says that Jesus found them sleeping for sorrow. And so they attempted to distance themselves from their emotional pain of hearing their savior, just a stone's throw away, crying with strong crying and tears. Do you think they didn't hear? Right. The Bible says strong crying and tears. They had to have heard their savior crying. And now they have a, their emotional pain was so great that they went to sleep. I have slept for sorrow. I'm sure the two of you have had an experience where you slept. Yeah. For sorrow. So they, they, that was an escape mechanism. They couldn't scroll their phone or binge Netflix. So they, they went to sleep and in, in going to sleep, they did not watch That's in that segment. Jesus says, watch and pray. Watch means remain aware and then pray. They didn't watch. They didn't want to be aware of where they were emotionally. They didn't want to feel that. So they went to sleep. And then when they woke up, they easily, Peter easily was entering into temptation because he had not stayed emotionally aware and allowed himself to be regulated. Jesus was regulated. He expressed it. He let it out. He was honest with his father about it. The, he did not try and escape the blood pressure that was opening up the blood vessels and letting blood out of his forehead. And God sent an angel to stand with him 
Because what do we need more than anything when we're scared? Company. Comfort someone. Yeah. And because his, his disciples were overwhelmed by their own sorrow, he received the comfort from an angel. Paul writes that Jesus was heard in that moment in that he feared. And every place in scripture where it says that a prayer was heard, that prayer was answered. So it's like if Jesus still got crucified, then how was his prayer answered? He was heard in that he feared. He needed comfort in his fears. And so God sent an angel to keep him company. And when we are with another person or entity that brings us peace, our body calms down. That's why it helps us to have people that we love close to us when we're scared and we feel better because they hold our hand or hug us or look us in the eye. And so once Jesus was regulated, he stands up powerful, walks out of the garden, says, I am he and people and the soldiers are slain by his voice and Peter's cutting off ears and flying all over the place. Not because emotion is bad, but because he wasn't willing to be emotionally aware and emotionally present. And so then when the pressure was on, he reacts and then Jesus just puts the ear back on because he's like, I know what. He's regulated. Which is, you see so what I do mean? you so think in light of what's happening all around the world now and just it's so mm. overwhelming, it, it, it's relentless. You know, we, we had COVID, we've got Ukraine war, we've got what's happening now in the Middle East. I mean, it's just this non-stop. Do you think people sleeping just because they're overwhelmed? Do you think that's a big part of yeah. it? It's like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. They're sleeping. They are drinking more than just that evening glass of wine that some Christians say they can have. They're drinking more. We have more um, de diagnoses of depression have spiked. Diagnoses of anxiety disorders have spiked. We have seen more people relapsing who had who had been um, had freedom from their addictions for a long time because we're trying to regulate how we feel. That is a bodily experience. And, and let me explain this. If you are about this regulation because it's chemical. When you are distressed, when you are depressed and you feel like eating something, what do you choose? Ice cream, cheesecake, yeah, something fried with sugar. Chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sugar. Yeah. That no one has ever said, I feel so depressed. I need a boneless, skinless chicken breast right now. <laughs> like if or I don't get a boneless lettuce. Skinless, no. <laughs> yeah, a piece of lettuce and some balsamic vinaigrette right now, I'm gonna lose it. Like no one has ever said that. So we don't we realize it without realizing it that our emotions are bodily experiences. And one of the ways that we try to regulate them is through chemicals. So whether that's heroin or cheesecake, we're trying to alter our body's chemistry in a way that brings us into another emotional state. And that's what we call regulation. We're trying to regulate the flow, but you can do that more in a more healthy way. You can do that by connecting to someone you care about. You can do that by breathing exercises. You can do that by going for a run. You can do that by um, sitting and meditating. So making sure you drink water and eat healthy food. There are other ways for me to connect with my body for that regulation. Do you think that expressive worship is a part of that too? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is why it just makes me crazy when some members of the body look down on other members of the body who express their worship in what they would say emotional terms. Oh, well, that's just emotion. Again, none of us even got saved without emotion, right? But yes, when we sing together, um, first of all, singing activates what's called the vagus nerve. I don't want to get too biological, but this the nerve that is the longest nerve in our body and central to the parasympathetic nervous system, which helps us regulate our emotions, is activated when we sing and when we hum 
It is activated when we stimulate both sides of our bodies. So like marching in place or clapping your hands, we call it bilateral stimulation. That awakens that part of the nervous system that calms us. And when we sing with other people, our heartbeats sync up. Is there science for this? Yes. Our heartbeats actually will come into sync. If someone's singing in a choir and the choir singing in unison, the heartbeat of the choir members will come into rhythm. What This is why he says, praise me in song, praise me with the dance, that it affects us physically and brings us into connection with each other. So everything that God told us to do, make a joyful noise. That's why I actually miss choirs because now like the worship movement kind of brought us into this like concert style. Yeah. When I was a kid, like the choir was big and you didn't have to audition and we had congregational songs. And so we just sang together and making that kind of loud noise awakens the part of your nervous system that helps regulate you. Laughing helps to do it. And so that's why it's so good to spend time with people who make you laugh, making eye contact with someone who loves you, a long hug, 20 seconds or more, activates that part of the nervous system. And so we are missing out on the most important forms of self-care, not letting it be relationship care or other care. My most important form of self-care is to get to my friend and get a hug. Like we were made biologically for relationship. And so expressive worship is huge because it brings together movement because movement activates that nerve, movement, sound, relationship, connection. It's all Oh, I can see another book right here. I can see another book just on that. That is so powerful, actually, on so many and levels. I talk about it in this book, but you're right. There's so much more oh, for yeah. that, like why Sunday morning is so good for us and any other time we gather. So good for us. I think we just need an entire season that is Dr. Anita. <laughs> like just a whole season. You can just take my seat. Like, Let's do it. Let's oh my do it. goodness. It we'll all be here. Okay. Well, we're going to, I know our time is up and I wish it wasn't, but wow. we are definitely going to have you back. I know, Dr. Anita, we are like propel women. We get to the point and here we are. But we've all enjoyed this so much. We're like, oh, oh, okay, that's it. Um, but I, I need to say that book about Sunday morning helping us, wow. <laughs> you've got to do that. That is just, I am thinking about all of this. Okay. Anyway, the, the fact is I want to say thank you. I mean, you're such a dear friend. I love you with all my heart. And this conversation has been awesome to say the least, but we've only just started. But for everyone listening, uh, Dr. Anita's details are listed and tagged in the description of this episode. You have got to get her latest book, The Garden Within. Um, it is, it is life-changing. I don't say use that phrase. I haven't used it at all. Um, on this series because but this book is so powerful and so profound. So um, keep up with her, connect further. She's a great follow. So for all of our listeners, we love you so much. We appreciate you. And thank you so much for joining us here on the Propel Women podcast. And I cannot wait to see you back here next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so glad that you chose to hang out with us on the Propel Women Life and Leadership podcast. You can connect with us at propelwomen.org or on social media at Propel Women. Remember, you can find details on today's episode as well as some small group discussion questions in the description of this episode. We'd love to hear from you, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and we'll see you back here next week.